Someone once asked me who my favorite podcast guest was of all time. I've had the opportunity to interview over a hundred different guests for podcasts over the years. And I replied, Tom Howard. I don't know why that was my first reaction, but there's something about Tom Howard that I just love. Can't figure out what it is. Maybe you'll figure it out on this episode. So enjoy this conversation with my friend, Tom Howard. Tom is the VP of customer experience from Service Titan. I think he mentioned on this episode, he owns or is an investor in five or six different home service companies, including Lee's Air Conditioning in Fresno, that he grew from 1.6 million to 15 million in just a few short years. So thank you for tuning in to the Change Your Filter podcast with Tall Paul and enjoy this conversation with our friend, Tom Howard. I cannot believe that you took a meeting at five or five thirty in the morning Pacific time. <laughs> it's eight thirty here where I'm recording in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's early for me. I I have to like relearn how to tie my shoes at five in the morning. I'm not against getting up. I just don't take meetings. So, thank you, Tom. Welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast. No problem. Thank you. You know, um, with working at Service Titan full time. My meetings there start at 8 or 9 a.m. Um, and they usually go till about 5 or 6 p.m., at least the meetings there. And then I've got work to do after that. So if I want to run my business or do stuff like this, my meetings typically for uh, Lee's or my other companies, Fetch Attack or something like that. Um, if I go visit uh, my company down here in Beverly Hills called Brody Pinnell, I usually get there at 5.30 or 6. Um, but I actually wake up typically around five and I start exercising and then have my first meeting at six. So having a meeting at five 30 is totally normal and kind of necessary if you want to fit all the stuff in. Do you feel like this is a season of your life where you've got this window of time where you're just not going to sleep for a decade or is this just the way that Tom Howard operates? Um, I think this is a time and a season. I, I haven't really figured out when the next season is or what that looks like. But I'm 38 years old, and I I like doing what I'm doing. I was uh, talking to people about they're like, wow, like aren't you just exhausted with work at the end of the day? And I said, you know what? How many of you have gone to Disneyland with your kids? And a bunch of people said yes. I said, okay, well, you know, at the end of a day, you get there at 8 a.m. It's eight o'clock at night, right? You've been going 12 hours at Disneyland. How many of your kids are like, you know? Mom, dad, we've had a long day. I think we're just going to call it early and just go home at eight o'clock. They're, they're like, my kids will fall flat on their face, pass out, and like I'll try to pick them up and I'm like, oh, dad, one more ride, just one more, we're fine. And they'll keep going. I said, if you can get to the point where you enjoy what you do as much as your kids enjoy Disneyland, they're not counting the hours of like how many they put in a day, they're counting how many they have left and trying to jam in as much as they can before the end. And definitely at least with working with contractors and then running my contracting business, that, that's how I feel. What a great analogy. I can identify with that. You run it till midnight, pass out, get up, do it again with joy, exhausted, but it's a good pain. So uh, let me ask this just selfishly, you know, I, I forgot about Brody Pinnell. Like I didn't even realize your whole roster before coming into this. Now it's, it's, I'm, I'm remembering that. Do you ever feel like you're letting or that you could let someone down because you have so much going on and so many priorities? Like how do you manage people's expectations of your time? Well, first of all, Brody Pinnell, I, I do, you know, I will let other people down. Brody Pinnell is, has got a great operator over there. They operate on their own. They don't need me that much. So they're the ones I, I worry about the least. In fact, when I show up there, they kind of look at me like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? Um, we have, you know, meetings about um, budget and things. But anyway, on everything else, I, Vahe Kazoyan, the president of Service Titan, he and I were talking at his house once. And I just kind of said, look, you know, I, I get worried that I'm going to let people down. And he said, well, you're taking on a lot. You're trying to do things that most people wouldn't even sign up to do. And, and you're like, not only did you sign up, you've been doing it for a year now. This is back 
a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, he's like, for me, I wake up in the morning and I just tell myself today, I'm probably going to let people down <laughs> and I'm okay with that. He's like, yeah. it's a, it's the consequence of trying to do what you're doing. And yeah. he's like, but a lot of the time you don't let people down, you get a lot done. So if I think if we constantly, I, I was really inspired by it. I think if we constantly worry about, oh, if I take this on, I'll let somebody down. Um, I don't think we'll push ourselves enough to try things. Another thing that I heard once is like, imagine what you could do if you weren't afraid of failure. I think a lot of times we don't take something because we're afraid of failing. Now, um, my executive coach would also tell me, he's like, hey, when you've taken too much on, you need to know what to cut. But I think if you're not afraid of like saying, hey, I've taken on too much, I need to get out of something, then that's then you've you've met that point where you've taken on too much and you can back it off. But I think a lot of people never even hit it. You mentioned your executive coach, and that's perfect timing. I wanted to talk to you about that. What is the role of your coach? Who is it? How do you guys communicate? What's that look like? Yeah, I was actually um, told I needed one when I got to Service Titan, which is kind of funny. Um, I must have. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell me more there. Was that just like a, uh, you know, here's your post-it notes, here's your name badge, and you need a coach? Or was there an event that led to, hey, Hey Tom, we need to work on your swing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the. It's probably the latter. Um, a lot of us. It, it's really great though. I mean, once I swallowed my pride and did it. Um, yeah. th- my executive coach is actually Keith Mercurio. He was a mm-hmm. uh, worked at Nextstar for a long time. Knows this guy. Speaks very highly of them. Um, he, uh, yeah, he. I think he has um, two or three of us on the executive team that he coaches, and then the others have uh, different coaches. And, uh, anyway, he, yeah, does, he meets with me every other week and, um, you you go into all kinds of stuff. I mean, in the beginning, you're talking about your childhood and what happened there. It's, it's a lot like a counseling or therapy session. Mm -hmm. Um, you start digging into why you respond to people in the workplace, certain ways, how you respond, how you react to things, how you would, you know, if I've got to go into a big meeting and, um, or contract negotiation or something like that, he's going to sit me down and say, all right, let's go through this and let's look at what angle you're coming at this problem from. How would you respond to this? How would you respond to that? Talks me through it, gives me feedback on how it sounds. It's, it's really quite, um, it's quite good. I mean, uh, Keith and I had a little bit of a fallout when we first met. Um, I didn't agree with some of the stuff that he was saying and things. And, and, uh, can you give me an example? just not to uh because because it would be my twist on it i don't know if i want to go too much into that but basically that's keith's coaching by the way that just played out for listeners (laughs) tom is getting ready to describe a situation and he prefaced it with it is my twist on the situation that's going to describe this narrative that's a yeah that's a keith coaching okay so let's hear it from be careful though so uh trying not to do that is basically he was he was doing a seminar for us at at service titan for just the executives. Um, and there was, I think at the time there was 11 executives and, um, with the way he was doing it, I wasn't real happy with it. And I would, I had only been at service site for two months and especially back then I was just getting into this and thinking, well, you know, I owned a business and no one can tell me what to do kind of thing. And I don't, I don't need to be here, if, you know, whatever. And kind of had that attitude. Um, and, and, and it's still, shines through sometimes it's it's difficult having and and still owning a business and having to go answer to somebody else anyway so we're going through this thing and i started to let him know how i felt about the whole situation and after a while it became very public in front of everybody and i uh yeah wasn't wasn't too happy um anyway we got through that and talking about it i look back it's like you know if i just sit down and shut up and like took in what was happening and, and started applying it. None of that would have happened. And I probably would have gotten a lot better, a lot faster out of it. And so, uh, we had to have executive coaches and I I called him and said, look, like, if this is your thing, like, can you do mine? He's like, sure. So yeah, we started talking after that and, uh, we've been working together now for about two years. Um, and it's, I, I would tell you, the, the problem with coaches is is uh, quality control 
you know, there's a, a hundred coaches out. It's just like uh, SEO companies. It seems like every high school kid with a laptop is an SEO expert all of a sudden. Same thing with, you know, people have life coaches, executive coaches, whatever, therapists, however you want to look at it. And I think it's, you know, you just got to make sure you've got one that knows what they're doing. Um, yeah, and it's, it's helped me a ton. What's been the biggest tool or resource that you draw from as it relates to Keith's, Keith's coaching over the years? Is there a framework he's given you or? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that we've gotten into um, that has really made me think a lot is basically understanding why you respond to things in given ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a big believer in this kind of thing in the past, but we went into, went back, um, into how I grew up, where I grew up, why, you know, and things like that. And then I remember this one situation when I was a kid and it, and it was, it's, it's pretty private, so I can't go into that too much, but, um, it was, it was a tough situation. It was the we're looking back on the first time in your life when you knew um, something was wrong, you know, cause when you're a kid, you don't, nothing's wrong or right. It's just is. And then you have a time where it hits and it usually affects the way you make your decisions for the rest of your life. And so then I start looking at it and what your, what your brain does is it overcompensates to avoid that particular situation. Right. Right. Yeah. And it makes you do things that are totally illogical and irrational because your brain is basically programmed to, Hey, let's avoid that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and it becomes detrimental to you if you keep letting it go throughout your life, but you don't even know that it's affecting you. And then all of a sudden you start looking at like all the decisions I'm making and the, especially the ones that put me in a situation that are tough and I'm stressed out and everything else. And it's like, Oh shoot, that's why. So yeah. going through that, I mean, that was literally over a year ago. We went through that exercise and now, um, we call it five-year-old Tom because it happened when I was about five years old. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shoot, five-year-old Tom is coming back in here. Yeah. You know, time to put five-year-old Tom in the corner and, you know, <laughs> uh, let me let 38-year-old Tom make better decisions here. Um, cause five-year-old Tom is, is basically pushing me here to, to do X, Y, Z. Cause I'm trying to avoid this, this feeling again. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've, I will have completely lost track for the rest of this conversation because I was thinking as you were saying that about like, the time that I remember, like things were wrong. Yeah. And it, it is, you really, that's a really profound question because you can usually think back to like that one weird thing that happened where the world looked different. The funny thing is, is I can tell you what, I mean, some details about it. Basically, you know, we talked earlier about how, Hey, don't be afraid to just say, Hey, I, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things like, I will continually take on more stuff. And then I would, I would not say no when it, when it was too much because I was afraid of not having enough and not having that position, not having that whatever. And, um, as soon as I realized, Hey, that's five-year-old Tom trying to make sure that like nothing goes wrong here and trying to appease everybody. And as soon as I realized, well, I don't have to do that. <laughs> um, five-year-old Tom doesn't go away. It's part of your programming. Um, if, if you look, uh, when we have machine learning right now and, and build machines to like walk or whatever, let's say, and, and yeah. some of you have seen them online, they train the machine to say, Hey, do this. When you fall over, do that, you know, whatever. And the machine starts learning and teaching itself how to walk. The problem is if some weird event happens while it's learning, it could really affect the way it walks for the rest of its life. Well, that's what happens to us. So anyway, I'm literally afraid to say no and afraid to do this, afraid of that. And finally it's still there. And I know that event is there, but I also know it's five-year-old Tom telling me like, Oh, you, you can't say no. You have to, you have to right. keep going. You can't let anyone right. down. And I'm like, screw it. Five-year-old Tom doesn't want to let people down. 38 year old Tom says, Hey, um, I'm sorry. I can't make this event. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, and you do it nicely, but you also free yourself and feel a lot better. I'm sitting here wondering if it's five-year-old Tom that said yes to this 5.30 a.m. podcast West Coast oh. time or 38-year-old Tom, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, if I was exhausted right now, I think 38-year-old Tom would say, you know what, let's just call it and cut okay. it. But no, we're literally every day. Um, I, I, I typically start walking by 5 a.m., sometimes mm -hmm. 4.30, and I get a half an hour to an hour in and I can clear my head. And then I actually start taking my meetings, like I said, by 6 at the latest typically. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 
And let's talk about tactics, disciplines, daily things. You know, you must go to bed super early. Like what you walk at 5 a.m. Like what are some other things you do to manage your time and be most effective and stay happy? Yeah. You know what I found was like, gosh, when I was, um, I went to Hungary for two years. I was a religious missionary. I remember mm-hmm. the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Some of you guys call it Mormon. Um, so I joined the church when I was almost 18 and it was pretty new to me. And then I went to Hungary for two years. So in that time period, when you go, you go to bed every night, almost exactly at 1030. Mm-hmm. You wake up every day, seven days a week, including Christmas and New Year's and everything else at 630 a.m. So you get exactly eight hours of sleep every night. That is a rule or that is just a, that's what happened. That's a rule. Um, and when you wake up at 6.30 a.m., you study for an hour on your own. Then you have the person you're living with. You study with them for an hour. Then you have uh, exercise for a half hour. You have language study for a half hour as learning Hungarian. Um, then you have um, showering, breakfast, whatever for an hour. And then you leave the uh, apartment at 10 or I can't remember if you add all those times together, it comes out right. at 10 or 10 30 <laughs> yeah. anyway. And then you go out and you're, you're working until you come home. Anyway, you're either talking to people about the gospel or you're helping. You have to uh, do service projects or whatever. You, you figure out how to fill that day with doing that kind of stuff. Except Monday you get six hours or I think it's eight hours off from the time you leave it. You still wake up at the same time. You still do your studies but then you don't have to work until 6.30 that night. And so you get your grocery shopping done, your house cleaning, your other stuff. Anyway, Saturday and Sunday don't matter. You do the same kind of stuff every day. You're obviously, you know, I was 19 to 21 when I did it. Um, you're not dating or anything. There's no time for that. So anyway, it was very regimented. But I looked back and I was like, man, I got a lot of stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, I added all together. I, I read 6,000 pages of text while I was out there. And uh when I got home, uh, somehow uh, the wires got crossed with the, with the time changes and everything. I started waking up at 5.46 a.m. every day. No mm-hmm. alarm clock, no nothing. I just like sit up and my eyes are like wide open. It's time to go. Yep. And that's when I realized, hey, you know, if you can push it long enough. And it only takes, by the way, for me now to get programmed like that a few weeks for a certain time schedule. And then once you do that, it'll just go. And it honestly, even if. You go to bed late. Last night I had a late night meeting um, with the service executives that ended up going. I didn't get home till 1130 at night and we went to bed at midnight. And this morning, no alarm clock. I'm waking up. Boom. Sitting up. It was like 450. And I was like, oh, I got to I, I got to go. It'll catch up to me if I don't make sure I get my sleep. But now after that, I try to make sure I'm regimented. Um, I try to make sure I get to bed no later than 10 o'clock. Usually it's 930. That way, about 445, 5 a.m., I'm I'm up at the latest, um, sometimes 4.30, and um, you can just go. And if you can do it like that, your body doesn't it doesn't feel tired when you wake up either because it's expecting to do this. Sure. Um, and you're not dragging yourself out of bed. And I looked at it, gosh, when I used to sleep until, you know, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, I look back, I'm like, you realize that even if you were just out walking for that four hours, or if I went for a run for four hours, I do some, um, I do a lot of Spartan races. Yeah. You know, that's like, <laughs> ready? like I could have, I could have burnt like, you know, thousands of calories this morning. I could have got healthier. I could have studied something. You lost all of that yeah. because you slept in. And if your body doesn't even want to sleep in, look at how much more productive you can be. So. Yeah. I think one of the, the biggest changes I've made is like, giving up on eight hours and just being okay with seven hours of sleep. And it's bought me so much yeah. more peace in my mind, giving me more time. Um, I could talk about this stuff. Like I just find you fascinating. Obviously I've told someone recently, someone asked me, you know, coming off a hundred podcasts with uh, over a hundred with, with to the point, they said, who's your favorite guest? I was like, Tom Howard. And then I felt bad for the 99 other guests. That was five-year-old Paul felt really, really bad for not saying they're all my favorite. Do you tell um, that to every guest that comes on here? <laughs> it's like, no, don't tell anyone else, but <laughs> no, this is my, it, I just find it fascinating, but um, I'm, let's pivot here. I want to talk about Pantheon and then I want to talk about Service Titan and then come back to Lee's and some of your other things you have going on. Um, I didn't attend Pantheon. Many people did. It seemed like everybody did. It seemed that the 
uh, I mean, coming off of a couple years of no meetings, the energy, everything just looked incredible. Um, for those that did not attend Pantheon, what were some of the major themes, takeaways, or what what should I have left Pantheon feeling about the industry, about Service Titan, about my business? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I, it's in the pictures, you'll see it, and this isn't really a theme, but they, they held it in uh, the Coliseum at uh, the LA Coliseum, which is, you know, the Olympics has been held there. Um, it, it's just... It's where USC plays and Vahe used to go to USC. He loved that place. So when you walk in, it was like, wow, this is kind of the meeting of the century kind of thing. I mean, just there's literally a flame going in the the Olympic cauldron. There's, you know, you're kind of getting excited. I would say walking in as a contractor, I used to say this about Pantheon. It was always like the Disneyland of contracting. Like I just love, and it's not honestly for me as a contractor, even before I came to Service Titan, it wasn't about the Service Titan, you know, training meetings. I mean, we only had uh, one day, they had a lot of Service Titan trainings. The other ones are just thought leadership and speakers from the industry and that kind of stuff. But the biggest thing for me was always like the the networking. Because at most conferences, you don't, you get maybe one or two big companies at a conference and then the rest are small companies, which there's nothing wrong with a lot of small companies, you know, two to $3 million of revenue, just hundreds of them everywhere. Um, and that's where most of our industry is usually at the two to $3 million revenue range, you're big enough that you can afford to go to a conference. Um, but our rev, our industry is mostly made up of shops that are a million dollars or less on the, you know, there's very few, it's like half a percent to a quarter percent that make it past 10 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. So finding contractors when I was at, you know, my first Pantheon, I think I was at five, maybe 9 million in revenue. But I wanted to see the guys that were 100 million and 500 million and a right. billion dollars of revenue. I want to learn from them. Um, and I still learn from the guys, even at $500,000 revenue. But for the really the people that are at the huge rates to see them and be like, wow, you know, let, he, let me hear your story about how you went from here to there. I couldn't get that at the other conferences that much. But at Pantheon, especially with Service Titan, it is, you know, a software that was built for the large companies. Um, we're trying to get better and better at making it better and better for the smaller ones um, and get down into that, you know, $2 million or less range, the $1 million or less range actually, um, and make it smoother and easier for them to set up so that they can uh, participate as well. But at Pantheon, since you've got those contractors that are on it and it really has become this networking place, the, the big companies show up and not only just the big companies, the CEOs of those big companies, the CFOs, the chief operating officers are showing up. We had multiple there and, and Service Titan tries to facilitate it and make it so they have areas where they can um, meet with smaller shops and network and talk. And we had conference room sets up for them so they could just take a, you know, a side group off to the side and just chat about things. It was really cool. I went into a few of those and just to see some of these big contractors just giving so much of their knowledge and sharing it was just awesome. Um, that to me is the cool, you're walking into this Coliseum and you feel like almost like the, the, you know, like a Titan, like somebody or a Olympian coming to like train and talk and do that stuff. And that was yeah. um, really hit that. But then the themes really this year came down to uh, at the end of the day, we released what we call Titan intelligence which is not a feature inside Service Titan, but a theme throughout Service Titan. There you go. Yeah, and um, the data science teams are really on on display there. Uh, I think you and I did a podcast while I was in Armenia, if I remember right. Yes, yep. That was the data science. There's a data science team in Armenia that was standardizing all our data in Service Titan so that we could see. Um, they spent the first nine months doing nothing but building a machine learning algorithm that would read every invoice that everyone puts into service Titan. And it could tell now with we're up to 98% accuracy. If it's a commercial residential job, if it's plumbing, heating, electrical, garage door, water treatment, whatever, it can tell if it's service, install, maintenance, sales, it, it can read your invoice and figure that out and then standardize that regardless of what you call your business unit, your job type or whatever, which means now that service Titans data is very, very, very strong. Um, it took us a long time to do that. And once we had that, though, now we can tell things like how many commercial plumbing 
maintenance calls were ran last year. <laughs> we know how much the average ticket was. We know how much that average ticket grew. We know all those things. So now we can start giving contractors um, that are using Service Titan a lot of insight into what's going on. So now all the features, we're literally just scratching the surface on what can be done. But now the features in Service Titan, we're building in that artificial intelligence. So in um, marketing, we can start looking at like, hey, what people do you want to target? Um, which areas are most likely to sell this type of, you know, if, if you want to put in, let's say, sewer pipe systems, what areas do you want to hit in your in your town that are going to be most likely to hit that? Well, we have a ton of data on that. Um, and we have our, our price book now. You can see, like, given in an area, what's the average price with you versus your competitors? Are you higher or lower than them? Because we know that this is on average across the US, this is what it sells for because our system can read every invoice and, and see what that what that is and basically standardize it. So um, we are uh, building that in right now and that's probably the biggest, biggest thing in Pantheon. If you think about the roadmap and you think about the product enhancements and what's kind of coming out of the next 18 or 24 months and that window may be smaller, but is the marketing insight element the most actionable or the most exciting, like where does all of, where does the, the, the data gathering intersect with something that the contractor really cares about that they can understand and use? Yeah. Um, couple things, uh, marketing definitely is uh, for, for you and some other people might be the most exciting for me. It's exciting for me. Maybe not the most, I will tell about it. Like, um, the biggest thing is we have, tied our data back to Google. So now um, we will be able to export our conversion rates, our average tickets and everything back to Google ads um, so that basically Google can optimize for what ads are working and what are not, which is to do a lot of contractors having to manually do that right now. Most contractors aren't doing it at all. Um, if we can do that now, all of a sudden our rate of return on PPC and Google local service ads and other things just skyrockets, which is awesome. Right. Um, and uh, that's pretty cool. But then they're adding on to that. Um, we will be able to automatically look at uh, capacity inside Service Titan. And because we have the data on how fast capacity fills up and how, how quickly it slows down and we have that aggregated, we can tell, okay, your capacity is filling up. We need to start throttling down your Google campaigns automatically to just try to save you marketing dollars. We won't be replacing marketing agencies in this case. What we want to do is we're actually certifying agencies now to become service titan certified providers so they can set it up with you and your agency that does your search engine optimization whatever is there but then they can set your ads and then have that throttling automatically start taking over so they can just start pulling back there's some cool things happening in marketing that we're excited about um but outside of that at least roadmap wise um the things that i'm getting excited about is one of these called enterprise hub uh it's coming out so if you have multiple locations or multiple cities whatever you can have roll-up reporting uh, to one thing. You can do multi-tenant call centers. So you can have your call center serving multiple locations or multiple tenants in Service Titan um, at once. There's for larger companies what we call flat file accounting. So if you want to switch to SAP or Oracle or some different accounting system, those things are all coming out so that they'll be able to connect to those. We've actually got that backend opened up so that that can actually happen right now. Um, the integration has to be custom built on each one, but the, they can do it without having Service Titan get involved. You can say, hey, look, I want to hire a third-party company that's going to build out for SAP or Oracle. Um, those are cool. On the, For the smaller companies, really, uh, the price insights, uh, we have automatically in Pricebook Pro now um, smart recommendations that say, hey, kind of like when you go on to Amazon and Amazon's using AI to figure out like, hey, if you bought this, you probably would like this too. Um, we can do that in your Pricebook now because we have the data in Service Titan. So it'll say, hey, if they're buying a, um, I've already talked a lot about plumbing, let's say air conditioning, if they're, you know, um, I don't know, if they're buying a compressor, they're probably gonna need a contact or two, let's recommend this. Um, or if they're getting a new system, hey, we should probably add on this into air quality system. And it'll just start automatically looking at that and putting it at the bottom of the screen saying, hey, right to the, uh, salesperson or technician, hey, you should probably add this on <laughs> just because it already knows what goes together. You mentioned that the biggest segment of the market are contractors under a million. I think I'm quoting that 
mm-hmm. least roughly. Oh yeah. It's 80%, 80% of contractors don't make it past a million dollars of revenue. Is part of your growth strategy as you move down market to just capture more of that market? And what is the strategy to help more contractors that are in that segment of the market? Yeah, a couple things. One is that we service Titan's fastest way to growth and most profitable way is not to go sell new contractors. I'd hate to say it. It's cool. We want as many people to uh, benefit off the platform as possible. But just as a business person, and I think all contractors can understand this, is that, hey, if I sell a new contractor on ServiceTime, I've got to pay a salesperson a commission. I've got to pay a bunch of onboarding fees um, to have them onboarded. I've got to pay all these things out of pocket to get this contractor up and running and happy. But then there's another way ServiceTime can grow, which is our existing customers, our existing contractors, if let's say they add 10 technicians this year because they grew really quickly and they're happy, Service Titan, you pay per managed technician, right? So for us, our most cost-effective way to grow is to basically um, help our contractors grow. It's not just idealistic. It's actually very much uh, practical. (laughs) It's, you know, Vahe explained to me when I first got to Service Titan, he's like, Tom, I mean, selling service site to a bunch of contractors is really cool, but I would, you know, I would love to just have our existing contractors really grow really fast. And uh, the average, the average company on service site in last year grew 25%, yep. um, which is, I mean, that is mind blowing to think about. That's the average. And even on the, you know, we didn't get into commercial till about a year ago, our average commercial contractor grew 16% last year. That's during mm-hmm. COVID. Um, so, it's what we really like to do is, is build features and benefits that help contractors grow and, um, and help them get what they need and get more profitable and those kind of things. So that's the strategy. It's um, yes, we do want it to make it easier. So if those smaller contractors go in, but really the, the right now it's mostly three technicians in the field and one office person and up that we really target. We're just trying to make it easier for them. And we've already been selling to those for a long time. So we just want to make it that onboarding process better, faster, more efficient, um, have a lot more out of the box stuff built into the product so that you don't have to set up as much when you get on it. Um, And we've been actually pretty successful in in shortening that onboarding time for a while. Uh, For the past uh, year, we've been working on it and it used to take a small contractor like that months to onboard. Now, if someone signs up today, that's a, you know, four technician with one office staff, we can actually, from the time we actually start onboarding them to the time we're live is a couple of weeks now instead of yeah. a couple of months. And we have a lot more out of the box stuff, but we need to keep pushing that and keep going down that road. Where do you as an individual, and maybe this is more of, you know, a question for your team and your leadership team, where do you feel the most pressure right now? Hmm. I, you know, the interesting thing is, is I, I never thought of it this way till I got to service Titan, but you really, um, COVID hit a couple months after we got, I got here mm-hmm. and I was running my businesses and I'm like freaking out cause I've never seen a worldwide pan- pandemic happen and what's going to happen. And, um, that was worrisome, but we also realized, Hey, uh, Ara called me, he's a CEO and he, it's the mill. And I said, Tom, we've got to get our contractors through this and, um, we got to help as much as we can. Like they're out fighting, but he kind of explained to me and I see it now. It's like, if they're out fighting the war and hand to hand combat, like we're the manufacturers of the weapons and the equipment they need to fight the war. So you better start building as fast and as strong as you can. If you want your contractors to win this war, because you know, at the time we didn't know how much the market was going to change and we want to make sure our contractors are getting as much of that market as possible. Um, so he's like, whatever it takes to help them do it. And so we started writing this contractor playbook with a bunch of articles that we could publish. We published what the call volumes were happening across the country, how, what our cancellation rates were. So if you saw, Oh, wow, Washington state just shut down. California just shut down. I live in, you know, I don't know, Nebraska. What if Nebraska shuts down? I want to see what happens to those call volumes. Um, even we started putting on webinars that had nothing to do with Service Titan. It was like, uh, mm-hmm. 
how to apply for PPP loans. We had 1,100 contractors show up to that webinar. Um, it was, and we were doing webinars like every week with different contractors talking about how they're getting through it. And it was a lot of pressure, but I realized like, hey, just just give them the tools. They, they're trained soldiers that fight and they've been fighting their whole lives. They're going to figure this out. But if we, we can give them the best tools, they're going to grow. So now the next thing is, is, you know, COVID's been going for a while. Um, and pretty much to the point where most people are just, it, it's, we've gotten to the state of normalcy, right? Whatever normal is. Um, now we look and we see that the stock market is down 27%. Um, new housing, new housing sales in the month of April were down 17%. There's, or yeah, 16%. They're supposed to be down like uh, 1.7 or 1.6. Can't remember. I'm, the numbers are pretty close to those. Anyway, um, we know that there's a market correction happening right now. And again, it's like, okay, let's make sure the contractors have what they need. Let's um, at least the best we can. Um, and and we're going to fail sometimes, but let's, let's push through and give them everything we've got. And that's what I'm feeling pressure about right now is like, hey, yeah. how do we keep making sure we're going to grow? We actually, during COVID, uh, service Titan actually exceeded its annual plan on on new sales and things like that and growth. And it's really comes out of those contractors that were fighting on the front lines and like took a really negative thing and turned it into something that boosted their businesses and grew. And I, I mean, I was like literally in tears after um, they they came out with our revenue numbers and not the revenue for service and how much we, we made the revenue for our contractors, how much they made. And I was just like, you know, those first couple of months were terrifying. And then you saw all these people that just rebounded and just took off. And I was like blown away. During that period of time, do you, I, I'm imagining you have your head down, you're getting to work. It's super intense. You don't know what's around the corner with regulation and with the market and with people even letting your customers into their home. When you look back on that period of time now, which of these three things made the biggest gains? Was it the brand service Titan? Was it the community or was it the actual product? Um, I, I would say the, I don't think the brand, um, I mean, the brand is what it is, but I'd say two things. One is the community. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I mean, those webinars and the things that were going out on rapid fire, I mean, we had contractors showing up say, hey, this is working for me. And Aaron Gaynor, this is working for me in Ohio. Want me to tell people about it? Yeah, let's get on a webinar and let's talk about it. Um, he had six or 700 contractors show up for that. We had, um, yeah, contractors from Texas. We actually, Keith McCurry is working with um, uh, uh, Radiant. They got on and said, hey, this is working for us. L- let's talk about it. I'm like, great. Um, that community there really took off. Mm-hmm. Service Titan just launched Service Titan Community at Pantheon. Um, part of it is because we saw how valuable this is. Um, we also saw we have a Facebook mas- uh, Facebook group called Service Titan Masterminds. Problem with Facebook is like we don't have evergreen content where if someone posts something, you go search for it easily. Um, so we can't have Service Titan Community built it into the product so contractors could help each other. I mean, um, Service Titan's biggest asset is the contractors that have that knowledge and, and are willing to share it. So that helped a ton. And, uh, I think the other piece is, is, yeah, in the product, um, Vahe came in, COVID hits, he stood up, uh, Vahe is the president. Uh, so Ara works on like the finance, the sales, the marketing, that kind of stuff. Ara, by the way, was a programmer as well. They both were, but then Vahe works on like the product and engineering and that kind of stuff. Anyway, Vahe came into, um, the, uh, engineering teams and stop whatever you're doing, you know, COVID's hit. Let's build as fast as we can to make a contactless experience so we could like contractors can go into customers' homes and not have them touch their iPad, that kind of thing to get signatures. Let's build everything we can for what we call the COVID product release. This never happens at service time because roadmaps have to be planned a year in advance and they have to, you know, you have to set aside engineers for them and whatever. And everybody just stopped what they're doing and hustled for what we call a six week period, which is a release cycle, which we would call three sprints three, two week sections. And they built like crazy. We literally had multiple people saying, Hey, as soon as it's over, I'm going to take two days off. Like I can't, I've I've stayed up all night. I've I've done all this stuff to get through. Um, So we had our COVID product releases the end of April. Uh, The shutdown happened like March 14th in California and then went across the country. 
six weeks to build all these features. We burned out engineers like crazy. Um, but all of a sudden our contractors had tools that they didn't have before. Um, we even had the, <laughs> that's when we came out with this thing called um, the office activities report. If you're in service and you have it, search in your, and you haven't used this, search in your reports called office activities. It basically, everyone was sending their CSRs to work from home and everybody worked from home, but you couldn't tell if they're working. Right. So the product team built this report that looks at everything you do in service time all day and shows when you're working and when you're not. And all of a sudden you could just be like, Hey, you know, Jimmy, the CSR didn't take a call or didn't click a button for three hours in the middle of the day. Cause he took a three hour lunch. And so now you could start managing your team remotely. That was all built in that six week period. Um, yeah. Like I said, the context of experience was in there. Yeah. The, uh, uh, we even had a, backup phone system because all the phones were dying and people thought it was service titan's fault at that time phones were going down like every three days and what it was was the uh phone companies were overloaded and couldn't like at&t verizon sprint they're all having these issues because they couldn't handle the new volume um so we had we built the call rollover where you can roll it over to a cell phone up to 10 cell phones yeah and they built it in six weeks so it really helped out do you ever feel pressure from customers? And I'll ask this a different way. I will sometimes read comments in user groups and some user might say, Service Titan, you need to do this or Service Titan, you did this. And I tell my product team, I'm like, hey guys, just so you know what's around the corner, when you get to a couple thousand customers, your product team gets kicked in the face every day. How do you manage that in the communities and keep the brand protected? Oh man, it's, uh, oh, that is the hardest thing. Because when I got to service site and first meeting is the first night, uh, Ara had called a meeting. It was six o'clock at night. I remember it was like dark outside or six thirty because it's, you know, it was like January when I got there. Um, and uh, we're sitting down, and I had just had all this bottled up frustration. I've got, I've got the whole, you know, there's like a hundred people in this meeting, and I've got their ear, and I'm a contractor now, and I took every opportunity. I actually got in trouble from HR because. Um, I went in there and, and went overboard a little bit. And I remember saying like, um, they asked about a certain feature or product that we should be working on. And I was like, that just makes me want to slap somebody in the face. Cause they clearly don't know what they're doing. You know, and Vi is like, could you not say that? Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, it's probably, probably not good. Um, this is California. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> anyway, as a contractor, like all this frustration comes out. And then what I learned was, is that, um, it's not in some cases, yes, they built things that no one was ever going to use or they, they built something that was just off base and somebody missed it. Um, and that's because we didn't have contractors inside service time time. Now we have we literally have like 100 people that have worked in the industry and uh, we have four of them that own businesses yeah. um, and that advise the product team now. So we've we've reduced the things that they don't use at all, um, at least the stuff they're building. But a lot of times they're building things that like a certain group of contractors with inside service Titan that desperately needed, or some, they made a contract with a large customer that wanted X, Y, Z way. And, and we can't figure out why it is, or they're building something that they have to build this and it gets released. And you're like, why in the world did you do that? And then you find out, Oh, they're building it this because in the future they need this other thing that we all want. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, and so I went a little overboard in that first meeting. And then a lot of things started making sense to me. But nowadays, the reality is we do need to be listening to our customers on the things that they want. Um, but especially with limited resources, we've got engineers in Armenia, we've got engineers in North Macedonia, we had engineers in Russia, we had engineers in you know uh, tons of them in the U.S. It's we don't go to these people think oh you're going to these other countries for cheaper engineers. It's not really the case. Um, the reason is because there's a shortage of engineers. Sure, yeah. there's literally only so many that you can hire. And when you only have, you have a limited resource, you have to pick the most important features to come out with next. And sometimes, and also contractors are like, but why'd you build this one stupid thing over here? It's like, well, it's because that engineer only works on this piece of the product and we didn't have something for that piece of the product they could do right now. So we said, okay, might as well just build this one thing that some contractors want and build it. Whereas like, for instance, phones, you can't go, especially something as critical as phones, take somebody that works on like mobile app development and say, Hey, you're working on phones now. Hope, hope you figure it out really well and, and just build X, Y, Z and Oh yeah, make sure it doesn't break and make sure all contractors are happy. So it's like, if you only have eight engineers on phones, you got to do that. Um, right. 
So we have to manage those as best we can. It, it's difficult and tell contractors they are being heard because they are. If, if you go on service and you go on the masterminds group, you're being heard. Trust me. We've got yeah. listeners that sit there and comb through all that stuff all the time. Um, and we just need to keep going and, and you know, taking that product feedback into account. And trust me, as, as a guy that has six companies all on Service Titan, there are things that I desperately want. And Tom Howard does not get any special treatment when it comes to like, hey, this has to be built. They're like, okay, that's cool. But here's the roadmap and here's why we're building what we're building. So as you view a potential IPO, I guess we can talk about that on here. That's been published that at least you're preparing. Do you feel more pressure from investors and then in the future, you know, potential public shareholders? What is the environment like with those three letters kind of hanging in the air? Well, um, well, I have to be super careful in what I say and don't say here. The reality is, is that there may never be an IPO. There could be, there could not be. That's all I can say there. I can't comment further on that piece. But what I can comment on is um, I've talked with um, uh, the founders a lot. I've talked with the executive team. I've talked with the board. And for all of them, if it was an IPO or if it was a private uh, round of fundraising or it was just um, going profitable and just earning profits there and slowing down growth, things like that, like, and by the way, in, in software, it's you typically slow down growth to increase profits. So you have right. to trade off on that because yep. if I hire hundred engineers this year, that doesn't, you know, to build some really cool stuff, you, you get paid out on that long-term as you know, um, building SaaS products. Mm-hmm. Um, for those listening, SaaS is service software as a service. And, um, when we talk about that, they do not see 100% they do not see a IPO or a fund a round of funding or something like that as a win or as a finish line or as something like that to them. It's kind of a side note Mm -hmm. because it's only there to help you accomplish the main goal. And the main goal is, is building these products that keep getting better, faster, stronger, you know, 15 years ago, there wasn't an investment group out there that was looking to invest in software for contractors um, on a large scale because they literally said they're not big enough. They're not sophisticated enough. They're not smart enough. The market's not big enough. Blah. There's 82 reasons why they weren't going to invest in this. Mm-hmm. and Vahe really, they were the first ones that came out and said, look, no, we're going to make a really awesome product like way and, and start building tools that like, these, these fortune 500 companies have, and we're going to give them to contractors and contractors are going to be able to pay for it. Um, and these tools are very expensive to build. It's shocking to me how much time, effort, energy, money it takes to build some of these features. And what they did is they, you know, now, you know, the amount of money that's been invested into them. And there's a lot of investment firms that have paid a lot of money in to become investors in service item because they see it now. Right. You know, they don't, Sure. R and Vahe, smart guys, whatever. That's not why they're investing though. What they're investing is they see that contractors aren't these backwoods hillbillies that can't support real businesses. What they're seeing is these contractors are doing amazing things, growing at incredible rates, building awesome businesses in the middle of COVID. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're like, oh my gosh, this is growing. It's growing fast. So hmm. Our Vahe's vision has been, look, let's build this all-encompassing thing that makes contractors have tools that they didn't have access to before. No one really wanted to build for them before because they didn't feel like they're worth it. Um, if they keep doing that, if it's an IPO or a private round of fundraisers or whatever, those are just things that are there to help that. Um, and, you know, that's that's the end game. Um and people ask me all the time, if ServiceTain does an IPO or if they do this big round of funding or whatever, are, you know, is that, what are Arvahe going to do after that? I'm like, what do you mean? What are they going to do after that? They see as like, oh, like they're going to be retiring. I'm like, no, I they mean, do that now. yeah, they one, they can do that now. But two is that, you know, like was, did Steve Jobs retire from Apple because Apple was a public company? Like, no, like that, that's not um, just because 
public people can buy your stock doesn't mean that you shouldn't be running your company anymore. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. And, and quite frankly, I mean, look at the, yeah, look, look at the markets right now. I mean, my gosh, the, the, uh, stock market is down like 27% year to date or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and tech companies are hit the hardest. So it's just uh, once those companies are out there that are public right now, that they've, they've got a lot of pressure on them to worry about the stock market and things like that. And, we don't have that pressure right now. That's actually kind of nice. What do you think the historical view of Service Titan is? And to take that question a step further, you know, you're starting to see people from big name brands step away from companies like LinkedIn and um, you name it. People coming out of Harvard Business School and Yale that are now joining Service Titan. You know, it's kind of uh, ceremonial that this is all taking place in California, where technology companies kind of thrive. What's your view on Service Titan as it relates to like other brands who've been unicorns in SaaS? Like what's it look like now and what will it look like five or 10 years from now? It, it just, I, it's hard for me to see when I got to Service Titan. Um, you know, Ara, the CEO was always telling me like, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. And I was like, gosh, you know, and I realized my own business as a contractor, like I hope whoever's listening here is not listening. To this is like a Service Titan growth thing. Like think of your own right. business and think like, you could think bigger too. Uh, Ken Goodrich told me, he said, man, last year he had bought his private jet the year before he was talking to me. And he said, I bought my jet and that's the last goal I had was to buy a private jet. And now I've hit all the goals that I set in my life. And I was like, wow. He's like, you know what I regret? I regret that like I didn't have bigger goals because I would have I would hit those too. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, Ken, that's a really good piece of input there. And um, I think with Ara, he says, yeah, like, he was really pushing me to start thinking bigger and stronger. And, you know, I started thinking like, gosh, if Service Titan kept growing, imagine uh, an idea where Service Titan now has the data to do this. Um, what if we could see automatically if a tech is going out and has really high callback rates on thermostatic expansion valves? Because mm-hmm. um, those get misdiagnosed all the time. If I have the AC contractors on here listening, like, oh my gosh, every time, you know, it's always the TXV's fault, right? Always. And um, they go out there and ServiceNet could diagnose that and say, okay, this technician needs a training on thermostatic expansion valves because they're not doing it. They're either misdiagnosing. It could have been, you know, a clogged filter dryer. It could have been, uh, you know, low on charge. It could have been a lot of things, but they keep misdiagnosing or they, or maybe they're installing it wrong. But we could automatically have a training that comes up, automatically pops up to them, trains the technician on how to do it redoes it, you know, there's just so many cool things that could be built. There's other stuff that I really wish I could talk about, but I can't, sure. but I mean, we get into it and I'm like, wow, this could get really big. So, and now, like you mentioned, there's a lot of people coming over, like the, um, our new chief technical officer came from uh, Salesforce and Salesforce is a much larger company than Service Titan, but they just haven't focused on contracting and haven't gotten in there. So he came over and, um, we have a guy that just came over named Sender. He came from Splunk. They were a $20 billion market cap company and he was a chief product officer and he came over and I'm like, why did you come here? And I'm not realizing that Service Titan is a big and becoming well-known company in tech now. I'm like, right. the heck we're a contracting thing. And he's like, Tom, I, just, I want to be part of this. I want to be, you don't. And he's like, Tom, you don't understand what's happening here. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, that's kind of, mind-boggling to me about what's going on and i think people think service is big right now they have no idea um it's not about selling new companies because really on the larger companies we have most of that market share already Hmm. um for at least plumbing uh electrical and hvac most of the large companies in the u.s are already on service titan Um, when i say large companies like 30 million dollars and up um so it's not about that it's about what we can do and expand into helping contractors get farther and farther and farther into that pipeline that makes them more and more and more efficient. Um, it's, it's, it's really kind of impressive. I can't go into too much of it, but when I start thinking about it and just so I put this out there, so no one's worried about it. Service Titan has no intent to ever go buy contracting businesses, go compete with, with competitors, at least, We've, that's not the intent of service and that's not a growth path. That's not our plan. We want to empower those people that are growing their own businesses, but there are a lot of things we have in the pipeline that um, could really, really, really benefit a lot of contractors nationwide. So as those things get bigger, I thought, 
wow, what if it gets to the point where, you know, well, it already is getting to the point where we can start attracting the talent from those top, you know, performers in other industries. And now they're coming, adding their expertise. Our routing person that built a lot of our routing engines um, came from routing from Google and other places. And it's like, okay, well, this is, this is awesome. Look at what we can do now to put tools in the hand of contractors um, that we couldn't do before we had that recognition. Is it a vulnerable experience when you bring in really, really top tier talent from really, really well ran organizations and you let them behind the curtain and you're like, yeah, here's this department. We've been kind of winging it. The password is password. Like, is that a vulnerable experience for you? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, the question I'm really trying to ask here, it's for the, it's for the business owner who might be afraid to bring on a, I mean, for lack of a better description, a Harvard MBA or someone from LinkedIn or Salesforce into their business, which is a stretch. But what's that experience like when you broaden your leadership circle and you're about to find out that you've been doing things wrong? It's kind of like going to, I, I, man, this is one of those things where I got to service time and I, I remember sitting down at the table and I'm a contractor, right? I think like a contractor, I talk like a contractor, you know, I don't have a master's degree. Um, so I walk in, I sit down at the table and I look to the guy to my left. It was um, a guy named Chris Trombetta. He's a chief people officer. The guy looks like freaking Captain America. He, he was in the uh, army, went to West Point, uh, was in for four years, got out of West Point, goes to Harvard Business School, works, goes way up the executive ladder at Red Probably Bull. McKinsey or Bain right up from there, Actually, right? Actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know those stories. Yeah, so literally, um, yes, he was a <laughs> he worked at McKenzie. So um, anyway, I'm like, okay, there's Chris to my left. Super cool guy, by the way. He's totally humble. Doesn't make me feel like an idiot sitting next to him. Then I look to my right and I've got, you know, David Birdie's a CFO. Uh, came from Netflix, also Harvard MBA. And I'm like, okay, um, you know, I'm going around, I'm looking around the table and I'm supposed to be paying attention here, but I'm a contractor. I, my, my attention spans like three seconds. Um, and I'm, now I'm thinking about other stuff. I can't tell you how many times, by the way, I've spoken up on meeting. I just see their faces go like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe he just said that. So anyway, you know, and I start realizing like, gosh, these guys are so Stanford, UCLA. I'm going through all the ones in my head as I go around the table, you know, Wharton business school, you know, Wharton, which is, uh, uh, that's where Connor went to school. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking around the table. I'm like, crap, like these are some heavy hitters and, and really, really, really not just that they went to those schools, but like the contribution that they make in these meetings is really insightful. And I'm like, dang, um, the reality is those people raise you up, right? Those people make you work harder, make you think smarter. And, um, with anyone thinking about bringing them into their contracting business, it's, it happens with consultants all the time. When I was consulting for air conditioning companies, it's like, uh, let's not tell them this. Let's not tell them that. It's kind of like going to the doctor and lying. It's like, look, I know it's embarrassing, but like, just tell the truth so we can get to the bottom of this. You know, whatever those spots are growing on your whatever it is, like, trust me, you want to get rid of that. Um, let's just be honest <laughs> and let's get it on the table. Let's get it fixed. Right. Um, it, it's much I, I would much rather have be embarrassed and make a profit than not be embarrassed because I can hide it and not make a profit because I'm not going to tell them what's really going on. Yeah. Just so they can't fix it. Oh, that's so good. Well, I, I want to go back to something. I think you said, Ara said this to you, uh, to think bigger. If you're in a contracting business today, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, whatever it is, um, Lee's or Fetchatech, how can you think bigger at the contractor level today? Give me some examples of ways that you can kind of expand your thinking or change your filter. Yeah. I mean, honestly... You know, I mean, you guys are doing some cool stuff at Contractor Commerce. Um, and being that I'm coming on this podcast, like, gosh, you know, Paul, Paul and I talked a while ago, we didn't go down that road. And I actually started texting my uh, call host Sway, by the way, at, at Lee's, please, this week. Just call the office, tell me you need to talk to us. Okay. Tom Howard was on my podcast, so I need to talk to you. Um, Thank you. I, I'm texting about it today as well. But I mean, you guys are doing things like we can sit here and complain about online sales and online this and online that. And, you know, Google's taking us or Amazon's taking and ruin, ruining contracting. The reality is that Amazon's not going away. Okay. Right. Like Amazon's not a fad. Google's not a fad. The internet's not a fad. So if you're, if you're, 
you know, strategy has been complain and wait it out. Like it's not, it's probably not an effective strategy. Um, you probably need to think about it head on and say, Hey, how can I take advantage of this situation? Um, maybe you do want to sell in the home, but maybe you want to offer something online to get you in the door and then upsell from there. Start thinking about growth strategies. I mean, not only about different features and benefits and things you could offer, but gosh, just thinking about what's possible. Lance Bachman from uh, One SEO was given a speech. I, I have no uh, ties, um, so I'm not endorsing for some reason, but he just gave a great speech and he just said, look, like, you need to ask yourself, why not me? And um, so I think when you go look at these other contractors that are doing really well, ask yourself, why not me? I, one of the most inspiring things that I ever did was I was sitting and talking to um, Dave Geiger at Horizon and he told me in 2004, they were doing like 8 million in revenue. And I was like, my eyes got real big. I mean, I don't know. They're they probably 800 million this year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a hundred times bigger. And, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm at that size. That means I could be that big. Right. I started, you know, when you really start thinking about it, Lee's in Fresno, we had a 40% average growth rate. And I just put it into my calculator, a financial calculator here. And I said, look, let's just say I only grew like 30%. Or I think, I think probably down to 20% per year for the next 12 years until I'm age 50. It was like almost $300 million of revenue. And that's with decreasing my growth rate. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And I think if contractors really sat back and thought about the fact that these people that are growing and, and making huge businesses, they, they're like you and me. Like right. they, they put their pants on one leg at a time. Like they, they used to be our size. And, and quite frankly, many times it's not that long ago. I was talking to Chris Hoffman from Hoffman Brothers a couple weeks ago. They, like six years ago, they were at 10 million in revenue. This year, they're going to do like 80 million. You know, I'm like, dang. Without investment, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't, they didn't take on a third party private equity firm. They didn't, they don't do, they, they do Greenfield and everything. They're just growing organically. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'm looking at Chris. I'm like, no offense, bro, but you're not that smart. <laughs> That's the reality. Yeah. He really is a massively intelligent individual. But the, the reality of the situation is it's like, he just went and did it. He went and executed he, right. he did what a lot of us aren't doing. And I'm like, gosh, like, why don't we just execute? Like, why don't we just do it? And so I think if, if you can think bigger like that and realize like you're capable of more than you thought, David Goggins has a great book. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend reading it called Can't Hurt Me. Mm -hmm. And the guy runs like ultra marathon stuff. He's been, uh, took Navy SEAL training three times. Uh, he went through Army Ranger training, Delta Force training, all that stuff. The guy like literally just does some of the most amazing things. And um, he said, when you feel like you've pushed yourself as hard as you can go and you feel like you're about to pass out and die, you're at about 20% capacity. You got about 80% left in the tank. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I think, yeah, if we start looking at it, realizing like, gosh, think like realize you can get so much bigger. Um, you can do great and bigger might not be, by the way, might not be more revenue. Maybe it's like, I want to own a house on the beach in Hawaii. I want to do whatever. Like there are people that have done it. That means you yes, can, can be done. Yeah. What a perfect note to end on. So, um, I'll ask you one more question cause I know we're running tight on time and it's, uh, man, the sun is almost up out there. So you need to, uh, you need to get to work. As you think about your portfolio of businesses, you have six contracting businesses you own, correct? Yeah. And um, what are you most excited about? Which market, which team? Fetchatech seems new and interesting. I've talked to some folks over there before. I think they're, a yeah, they're a client of ours right now. So thank you, by the way. Um, but tell me um, tell me about Fetchatech or any of the businesses. What are you most excited about as a contractor right now? I think, yeah, Fetchatech is, is the one that I'm most excited about right now. Um, it's that I've always heard that if you have a great team, like that, then you can do anything. And honestly, the team out there, it just kind of came together so fast. I mean, my other teams are great, but it took a long time to get there in Las Vegas. We put, we took three companies that were um, all struggling last year. Um, we, as a team, we, we have, I have a lot of partners out there. Um, I only own 26.6%, but who's counting? Um, 
And um, the rest of the partners, I think we got uh, five of them share the rest of the uh, shares. But we put this amazing team together super fast. Um, Brent Buckley out there is killing it. And a lot of people know him because he's very voiceless online. He's great at sales. But then Dennis Thompson you know, is an awesome operator out there. Um, we got Dan Antonelli doing, he actually owns a share. He's um, doing some of the branding. Uh, the Flint group out there is with us. Um, you know, Jerry Finney um, owned one of them. We're all um, partners out there. And it really, last year, if you put the three companies together, there's a negative a million dollars in EBITDA basically right. on 11 million in revenue. And that company this year should do about 22 million in revenue with 5 million of EBITDA in one year turnaround. Um, and I don't have enough time to run, um, businesses. I've got a, you know, I'm working full-time at service Titan and I did help with going out there for the first two months. It was like every week I was out there working with them and it was fun to work as a team and really feel like we had our backs against the wall. We had to figure this out, how to turn it around. And, um, they just, you know, we, we built budgets and forecasts and we made business plans and we got trucks and we, yeah, I, I personally guaranteed a bunch of those trucks. So I'm kind of, uh, scared now, but, um, they start executing and to grow that fast. It just feels awesome to be on a winning team. That's going to turn that kind of uh, a profit in one year and, and make something happen. It's just, just awesome. Congratulations. And also congratulations to Mario on your team, who I think has lost, I don't know, 120 pounds or uh, yeah. he's got more to go and um, he'll be a guest on here. I want to hear his journey. That guy, like the humility and the, yeah. the grit. I mean, he's like you, I get up, on the East coast. And he's already posting pictures of himself, like shirtless in the gym, like covered in sweat. Like, what are you doing today? <laughs> like the David Goggins of HVAC. Yeah. He, he's the, the, da- yeah, the David Goggins of install management. It's like it, really cool guy. Mario's like, and he's always happy too when he comes to the office. So yeah, great guy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was so generous. I know you've got a big long day ahead of you. So listeners, if you want to connect with Tom. Tom, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Email me at thoward, thoward at servicetitan.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Contractor Commerce, plug and play online stores for contractors. We see a future where every contractor has an online store. 